So we give you thanks and praise, O oh Lord, that you are so good. Your, your grace is so amazing, and we want to celebrate not just how holy you are, but how wonderfully kind and loving and forgiving and present you are. We bless you, Lord Jesus, and we give you thanks and praise that we're part of your family, we're part of your team, we're part of your life, we're part of your world. We give you thanks. You are so very good, and we honor you. Would you join me, please, in praying the prayer that Jesus taught those he loved? If you don't know those words, they'll be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you for, I was behind the wall changing my shirts, and boy, you are singing with beautiful, beautiful harmonies. Thank you so much for worshiping our Lord. I have a little bracelet. Um, the women on Wednesday nights are looking at uh, things about how we think, and they made bracelets, and I have one. And so, you know, I often go places and I see some with a tattoo. I ask them, tell me about your tattoo. So I go to one particular place and, and the different staff tell me about their tattoos. Well, I walked in this week and they saw mine. They say, what's your tattoo? Whatever is true, whatever is no, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy. Think about such things. Oh. So I go, next week, here we go. Could you open your Bibles, please, to chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to continue with the phrase, whatever is lovely. And let me tell you what the word means, and then we're going to read the passage and play around a little bit. So, can I, Jim, may I have slide uh, 5, please? Why don't you get a page number? Thank you, everyone. So the, here's the word in Greek, but it means acceptable, pleasing, agreeable, and beautiful. But literally, what I focus on is the literal translation of the word lovely. It is to move toward love. So whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, move toward love. So we're going to do that today. We'll talk about it. And here's the, here, so here's where we're going to end up. So, so give me an umbrella of mercy and wait 26 minutes. Here's my sentence. Could it be that the confession of our sins is lovely? Could it be that the confession of our sins moves us toward love? Now I'm gonna do, I'm gonna need an umbrella of mercy here. I'm gonna push back against the Reformed tradition's high emphasis on total depravity. And I'm gonna look at confession of sin in a different way. So here's my word, here's my, here's what I'm talking about confession of sin. What if when we confess our sins to Jesus, his goal is not to condemn us, his desire is to rescue us? Could it be that the confession of our sin moves us toward love. Well, we'll get there in a minute, but let's look at the passage. Chapter, let's start chapter 3. 
remind you where we have been, and then we're going to look at lovely. Chapter 3, look at verse 17. I've been reading this last few weeks just to give context. 3, 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have as us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. These are practicing chapter 4, 8, and 9. For as I've often told you before now and tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Now let me stop for just a second. Jim, I'm going to do slides 10 through 18. So what does it mean to have your mind set on earthly things? These are things our culture is valuing. So congratulations, the culture says, to the entitled, for this world owes them everything. Congratulations to the carefree, for they shall live comfortably. Congratulations to the pushy, for they shall get ahead. Congratulations to the greedy, for they will be celebrated. Congratulations to the angry, for they shall be feared. Congratulations to, to those who don't get caught, for they shall look good. Congratulations to the angry posers, for they shall get the last loud word. Congratulations to the popular, for this world follows them constantly. Well, now go back and look at verse 19. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, their mind is set on earthly things. So the things I just showed you are the things our culture values. Get rich, get strong, climb over the top, move ahead, knock people out of the way, get your post, be popular, get a friend, get a pop, push it out there, push it out there, push it. And what does St. Paul say? So whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, think about those things. So let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say about how we live? Next slide, please, Jim. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are those peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Hmm, that's a little different. Picture please, Jim. What does our culture think about these things? Now, I'm going to share sad information real quickly. There are some studies out that suggest that there is absolutely no difference in behavior and specific outcomes between people who identify as Christians and those who don't. What's the difference? May I suggest for those who are different, they are women and men who are developing the mind of Christ. And those women and men have the peace of Christ in them and they live with the peace of Christ walking alongside them because they think about what is true and what is noble and what is right and what is pure 
and what is lovely. And those people are different. We call them disciples of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone who says what Jesus says, who does what Jesus does, who thinks as Jesus thinks, as though Jesus were living his life in them. And he is. Think about these things. Back to the passage. So he says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Let me stop right there. Glorious bodies. I want to express sympathy to two families in our church this week. Many of you know Beek, Vanderbeek. Beek passed away. He had long gone to be with Jesus. His visitation is today in the, in the fellowship hall. The funeral tomorrow morning at 10.30. And then Bob Vanderlyn passed away unexpectedly yesterday morning. So we express sympathy to Jackie and her family as well. So back to the passage. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So Beak and Bob one day have glorious bodies. Now John chapter, chapter 4, verse 7. So St. Paul continues to write and says, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now here are our verses that we're trying to memorize. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So Jim, may I have a slide real quick, slide seven? So when I use that phrase, I'm talking about these words. We think, it's an ongoing action, we move to places of reflection and deep thought. There's significant energy expressed this way. We begin to practice these virtues, and the promises will be with our peace. Now let me just stop for one second again. Be very careful, be gracious in spirit. But what I'm observing and what our counselors tell me is that we are, many of us, are really wrestling with high levels of anxiety and fear. And for some reasons, they are legitimate reasons, and there need to be reasons for fear and anxiety. But many of us are being so troubled by other sources and forces that we're overcome with anxiety, and we're not experiencing the peace. Now back to the picture again. So I got some significant, last week I got 89 emails after the third service. And all kinds of conversation, not bad, all kinds of conversation. I'm observing, I'm observing, 68 years old, 43 years of pastor, I'm observing people who develop the mind of Christ, who intentionally seek to develop what is already given to us at new birth. They begin to become more and more thinking, acting, feeling like Jesus, and there is shalom around them, and there is shalom in them. Let me stop one second. Mother thing, and Ed, can I have Jim? May I have slide number six? And we'll go back to the passage. I've said this two weeks ago. Spiritual practices matter. The greater the repetition, the greater the impact. Where there is little repetition, there is little impact. So I want to again ask: how is it we become proficient in anything? 
We spend hours and hours and hours preparing. Let me ask you a question. Why does this not apply to developing the mind of Christ? Why do I think I can just come to church on a Sunday morning and, by golly, I'm getting the mind of Christ. It's awesome. I'm all week long. I'm just thinking like Jesus. Is that true? Do we actually do that? No. How do you get good at anything? You practice. So, back to the picture. What we're inviting us to do is to, is to focus, to practice on thinking about, on pondering, and on practicing that which is true and that which is noble and that which is right and that which is pure and that which is lovely. Now, the word for love I'm going to use this morning, or for lovely, is to move Toward love. Back to our passage. Can you go back now to verse 10? I'm sorry, verse 9. So St. Paul now says to them, who are, he's asking them to think about these virtues. Verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. Hmm, let me stop there again. Whatever you have learned, received, heard from me or seen in me. Back to the picture. Who in your life looks like this. May I push? We all need someone in our lives who thinks like this, who lives like this. Keep pushing. Are you a woman or a man, a child, a student, who looks like this, who thinks like this? Here's my pen. It's, it, I think I should pick it up. We push. All of life is lived right here. It starts here. What do you primarily think about? What you think about is what we live out. So, I got this. I got this. I got this. In my car, in the bathrooms, in my office, everywhere. What? I have the Jesus prayer. I have the Lord's prayer. I have the 23rd Psalm. I have this. Where? It's here. Again, Another meeting this week, some people said to me, you spend too much time, you don't spend enough time knowing what's going on in the world. And I said, that may be true. But if I just go check all kinds of places in an hour, how much of that do I see? So if I don't see that, what am I seeing? Jim slides 10 through 17 again. This is what we're seeing in our culture. Congratulations to the entitled. Pay off my debts, government. Provide everything I need, government. Provide everything. You all, you all, take care of me. Next slide. I just want to have fun. I just want to have fun. I just met with someone this week who 
he's got some very significant illnesses because he's just looking for somebody to have fun with. And now he's got some medical issues that are gonna haunt him for the rest of his life. Just gonna have fun, live comfortably. Next one. Pushy, how do you get ahead? Get your pose, put it out there. Push ahead, get your platform, demand your rights. Put it, get ahead. Get, next one, please. Oh, man. Can you imagine on a Sunday morning in the lobby somewhere, you're standing by somebody and they're talking about all their sexual exploits. You just go, oh, man, in church they're talking about all kinds of this stuff. In the same church, we can talk about how we're getting money from this person, we're doing that, we're doing all kinds of greedy things that are illegal and unethical, and it's no problem. Greed, remember Wall Street? Greed is good. Well, who, who do we follow? Who are the richest people in the world? Who do we follow? The famous, what, what? Next one. Congratulations to the angry. They just post. They're angry all the time. They're just slamming, angry about all kinds of things. And we just, how about the next one? Congratulations to those don't get caught. Blank screen, Jim. That's the stuff our culture says to think about. Get ahead. Get rich. Get yourself a platform. Do your stuff. Blah, 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 blah. And St. Paul says to those he loves, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, think about those things. Ponder those things. Practice those things. Well, then what happens? What passage goes on? Look at the passage a little farther. Down to verse, uh, verse 11. St. Paul writes, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circ circumstance, situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through all these things through Christ who gives me strength. Back to the picture again. How can he say that? How can he be beaten multiple times? How can he be starved? How can he be shipwrecked? How can he be on and on? He has the mind of Christ. Do you? Do I? Are we developing the mind because the mind and heart we are holistic people. The mind, the heart, the body are all connected. As we think, as we feel, as we live, it all goes forward. Well, then he says something else to us, but I won't go there right now. So let me go back to slide number, um, number five again. And I wanna, I wanna move into this idea of confession now. So whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely. So those are synonyms around it, acceptable, pleasing, agreeable, beautiful. But I want to focus on the literal translation, move toward love. I'm going to give you two examples. Because I'm going to put these, frame these in two examples because now I want, I'd like to move. Right now we're on the journey. Could confession of our sins be lovely? Could that move us toward love? Let me give you two biblical images. Here's one. You tell me the story. 
What's the story? Prodigal son. Do you have that image of Jesus in your head and your heart? What happens if we sin? When we sin, what if Jesus doesn't run from us? What if Jesus runs toward us? How about this image? A woman has been trapped and somehow involved in a difficult sexual situation. Accusers bring this person to Jesus and they want Jesus to respond. And what they're testing him is, do we kill her for being a sinner or not? And what did Jesus do with the sinner? He wrote something in the ground and all the people with stones left. And Jesus said to this woman, and I, I would guess something like this, where are your accusers? And she said, there are none. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What would happen if when we confess our sins, Jesus doesn't run? But what if he comes toward us? Could it be that the confessions of our sin is lovely? It's a movement toward love. I mean, I'm going to read a little bit this morning, so forgive me if it's... Just, just stay with me for a couple of minutes. So I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to reframe confession now. Isn't it true that the instinctive human response to sin is to hide? So I'll go back to Genesis chapter 3. When the first people sinned, they hid. You remember the story? What if the text of Genesis 3 reveals sin not as an accusation or a condemnation? What if it's a diagnosis? And what if God is saying to people he loves and wants to be in a love relationship? Where are you? You notice he is moving toward sinners. Do you believe that when you sin, that Jesus moves toward you? The issue with sin isn't that God has some unbreakable moral code and coloring outside the lines is how we prove how bad we are. But could it be that the issue of sin inhibits us from doing what you were made to do? And that is to love and be loved. The circle of love, Father, Son, and Spirit, we enter in through relationship with Jesus we're invited into the circle of love. Why did God create people? He wanted a love relationship. So what if the issue of sin is not, you didn't keep the rules. What if sin is, I have a sickness and evil, and when I want to run and hide, the reality is Jesus comes looking for us. Could it be the biblical narrative isn't one of a distant, disengaged, or angry deity who's far away? 
what if the biblical story starting in Genesis 3 is a God who runs after those he loves? Have you ever thought about that? This is in our tribe, we get, we, we, we get confused on this one. We are so strong on total depravity. We so are mindful of sinfulness. We have lost the sense of grace. Is that fair? We have this. One day, there will be that. Sheep and goats. But right now, let's get, let, me, let me go on a little farther. Watch this. Allow me to do a brief six summary of the 66 books of the Bible. Here it is. I've got good news and bad news. The good news is you are loved. You are loved right now without qualification or restriction, loved unconditionally for who you are, loved in a way you cannot lose. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord, Romans 8. The bad news is that you find it very hard to believe this, even harder to experience it. Our instincts are and will ever be to drum up, I've got to make myself acceptable. I've got to make myself lovable. I've got to make myself clean. The good news is grace, and the bad news is sin. What if every time we found ourselves overcome by sin and shame, we receive the opportunity to hear the words of Jesus, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. What if the parts of the stories we like to erase, listen to this, what if the parts of the story we like to erase become in the end the parts will tell forever? What if these painful, honest moments are not the opportunity to clean ourselves up but instead to see ourselves as still loved by Jesus. Not this. It's this. Do you believe that? If it's true, wouldn't that be lovely? Move toward love. Let me go a little farther. God has never lowered the standard of holiness. He made a way to make us holy that is not dependent on our performance. Grace, forgiveness, and kindness win. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For nothing will ever be able to separate you from love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Life can't, death can't, angels can't, demons can't. Nothing in all creation can separate you, you, you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord. Our intuitive assumption is that we're closest to God when we're not sinning. We're doing everything right and well. We're reading our Bibles and we're going to church and we're putting money on the offering plate. Then Jesus must be close by. The book of Hebrews begs to differ. The book of Hebrews says just the opposite. Jesus is nearest to us in our weaknesses, 
not in our strengths. Our hearts, corrupted by sin, are like poles that push away the loving grace of God. But Jesus' heart, uncorrupted by sin, is always looking for people he loves who are sinning. Why do you think in the Gospels, why, why, why does everyone want to be around Jesus? Why do all the sinners want to be around Jesus? The drunks, the whores, why? Why do they all want to be around Jesus? Because he doesn't get corrupted by their sin. He brings the grace of God to them and he says to them, I accept you, I welcome you. Come, but go and sin no more. Could it be that the confession of sin is lovely? When we name it, we'll go a little farther. Are you, are you tracking me this morning? Track with me? Okay. How about this? So how do we take Jesus up on his willingness to bless, to forgive, to love, to transform? We confess. Confession is how we turn to Jesus. We look him in the eyes. We acknowledge his presence right here with us. Listen to my next sentence. He is not here to judge us. He is here to rescue us. Wouldn't that be lovely? Wouldn't that move us toward love? I covered up this quote by Brennan Manning. I want to bring it back out. Brennan Manning writes, it has been said anyone God uses significantly has been deeply wounded. We are each and every one of us insignificant people whom God has called in love. We've been given gifts to be used in meaningful ways for others. On the last day when Jesus returns, he will not look for our bank accounts, our medals, our diplomas, or honors. Jesus will ask to see our scars. It is not by our gifts, insights, ideas, or qualifications that God is determined to bless his world. No, it is by our scars. By his wounds we are healed, and by our wounds, Christ's healing love is shared. Wouldn't that be lovely? Can you get your head around this? I want you to, could you in your minds that go to a time and a place when you know you made choices to sin? Put yourself in that moment. Are you there? Can you imagine Jesus walking right up to you at that moment, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, and at that moment, he puts his arms around you and he looks you in the eye and says, I've come to rescue you. Isn't that lovely? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, think about these things. A little farther. So how could confession be lovely? Let me suggest two words, search and name. If we confess, I want you in your mind's eye 
Just imagine Jesus saying, I'm looking for you, I'm looking for you. He's searching for us. You know the book, The Hound of the Song, the poem, The Hound of Heaven? You familiar with that one? It's a long, long poem. The person is trying to run from God, and the hound of heaven just chases and chases and chases and chases and chases and chases, and finally the person just is exhausted, and the hound of heaven loves him. Do you believe that when you confess your own sin, Jesus comes right up to you, somehow mysteriously, and welcomes you into the grace that he offers. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he will forgive us and cleanse us. So you know what confession is? Think about this, different word picture. You're on a, a big boat, and you fall in the water. You're in the water, you can't swim, and someone takes a, lo- a life preserver and throws it to you and you grab it. That's what confession is. When we confess, he throws and he pulls us in and he pulls us out and says, I love you. Wouldn't that be lovely? Hmm. Searching is God's part and naming is ours. So I wonder if we could spend just a few moments together. Would you be willing to consider together in a few moments of silence confessing whatever you need to Jesus? Stay with me, don't, don't, don't stay with me. But in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine he comes toward you. He welcomes you. He blesses you as you share whatever you need to share. Can you think about confession that way? The word lovely is to move toward love. When we confess to Jesus, he moves toward us and we move toward him.